0: Hey, now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, with episode 198 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. Man, that is wild to say, 198 almost at episode 200 but the silver king adam silverstein is back once again with a special guest on this thursday edition of getting over none other than vintage chris vanini who is joining me today to talk all the nxt news and consternation that's been swimming and circling through the internet wires over the last four days along with a full breakdown of of this week's NXT and, of course, AEW Dynamite. We have a loaded show ahead for you. We are not going to waste any time. In fact, I'm going to go straight to Booker T reminding you what you need to know about getting over. Hey, Finn, you got something to say there? Yeah, stop being marks for yourselves and remember... This show is all about the five. That means heading on over to Apple Podcasts, dropping a five-star rating and review to tell people why you love Getting Over and why they should listen to your favorite wrestling podcast. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCat. So as promised, we have a loaded show for you today. Not only are we going to go over the big news item that dropped a few days ago, I believe it was on Sunday, from Dave Meltzer of Wrestling Observer radio, newsletter, all that type of stuff. We also have an NXT mailbag because you guys had questions coming out of that. We will go over the entire episode of NXT from Tuesday and everything that happened Wednesday on AEW Dynamite. For those of you who may or may not want to listen to one part of the show or the other, as with every single episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, we will have timestamps in our description. So if you're an NXT only person, you can listen to those. And if you're an AEW only person, you can skip ahead to Dynamite, but as always, I hope you listen to the entire show. So, Vintage Chris Vanini is here. I'm going to welcome him in, but before I do that, in a rarity here on the Thursday show, we're going to open into the main, event. This is the main event. So, Chris is here, the Silver King is here, and we went over the NXT releases on Tuesday show. We gave you a little Preview of what today's conversation is going to be, but we want to talk about the big news drop that came from Dave Meltzer of Wrestling Observer Radio. I believe he said it on his radio show this past Sunday. I'm curious to see Dave lay this report that he, you know, put forth out in print Friday in his newsletter because. Sometimes things change or they don't get as lost in translation when he writes them down, as opposed to when he verbalizes them. He can sometimes get a little, not mixed up, but wordy, right? And and maybe things lose their connotation. Uh, But I'm not going to wait another week to talk about this because he put a lot of stuff out there. And Chris and I are going to go over them item by item. And really, the way I look at it, there's two main items. Uh, And let's start with the first one. The first is that Vince McMahon, Bruce Pritchard, And for some reason, John Laurinaitis chose the NXT cuts from this past week. They all went down on Friday. Reminder, during SmackDown, not Paul Levesque and Shawn Michaels. Now, in some ways, that's not that surprising, Chris, because these guys are looking at what talent they may want for the main roster, and by going through the NXT roster and they Visited the WWE Performance Center a couple of weeks ago in a in a meeting and an appearance that talent at the time NXT talent said was positive and they didn't expect anything negative to come out of it. Again, another instance of WWE self-inflicting its own negativity. Um, you know, they looked at the roster, presumably said these are the people we do not think have a future here, and cut them. Now that obviously is maddening and somewhat asinine when you have Paul Levec Triple H, and Shawn Michaels at the Performance Center, basically day-to-day, working with these people, knowing the ins and outs, and knowing what their potential is like, where Vince and Bruce and John are flying in, Johnny Ace, and just kind of saying, oh, well, this guy's not big enough, this guy's too small, Uh, this woman's too old, let's cut him, right? So that, to me, was really the most maddening part of the entire report. But then you go down to the cuts, and this is what we talked about on Tuesday's show, and there's really only like two people, maybe three, that actually angered me out of like the 15 that they cut. And, I'm, right. I, and again, to clarify, I'm mad that a single person has to lose their job. It sucks to see anyone fired, lose their employment, especially during these times. But when you're talking about it from a sporting type of perspective, right? You look at your favorite team when they release players, when they trade for players and sign new players, there's people that... Excite you because they're extremely talented, and there's people where they get cut, and you're like, okay, like a, no sweat off my back as a, as a fan of this entertainment product um, or of this team because I want the team to be successful, I want the entertainment product to be successful. So I think the idea that they were the ones making the cuts disgusts me, obviously, because I love this NXT product and I know you do too when you get the opportunity to watch it. But then when you look at the cuts, it. it there's only a couple that really actually pissed me off. Whereas when you look at the main roster, there's been a lot more cuts that have pissed me off. So I'm kind of curious what you thought about that.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, first of all, I'm, I'm on this show because this feels like this is the biggest story in internet wrestling right now. Uh, this is the kind of the community. This is what everybody's talking about. What, what is NXT, the future of NXT, the Meltzer Report, and all this. So that's why I wanted to come on. Also, I watched AEW, so I'm, I'll be here for that. But my my first reaction is, Man, Triple H is standing in the company, really seems to have diminished over the last year, 6 I mean, months Nick, especially. Nick, yeah. Nick Nick Khan comes in, becomes the number 2. Does not look we we used to always talk about Triple H and Stephanie taking over the company. I don't I don't know about that anymore. Uh we 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 speculate about the possibility of them selling the company at some point with all these moves. And now you've got People above Triple H making these cuts in NXT, which is his baby with apparently out not even consulting him.
0: So, well, again, uh, so, you know, the report is that those three, Vince, Bruce and John made the cuts and that Paul and Sean didn't. But that doesn't necessarily mean they weren't consulted. That's true. That's true. And I think when people see these reports, especially when they come from Dave or really honestly, when they come from anyone. They take them at blatant face value as much as possible without any room for thought or analysis. Like, I, what if Vince, Bruce and John brought a list of 25 people that they wanted to cut and Paul and they showed Paul and Sean and they're like, you know what, we're not going to argue with you because we know you're going to win, but these eight, we don't want gone. Or the, here's why you shouldn't sure. cut these eight. So we don't necessarily know that they had no say in it. And I'm not directing this at you, Chris. I'm just saying in general, the idea that they came in, chopped people off, and didn't even ask or talk to Sean or Triple H, I don't believe that. I don't yeah, think there's that's, a that's way true. where Triple H, who's been – this is his baby, hasn't even been consulted. I, yeah, I, I and find and that hard to believe.
1: And if that's the case, again, we don't know for sure. It would make sense for it to play out that way, as you said and Vince is the boss of the company so he is, he is. the guy who he is yeah. the guy who makes these calls so it if it's that, that then I get it we know sometimes these things get reported certain ways interpreted different ways hey, that's a, that, there, that's a there's fair an, point. there's right?
0: an example from the office where michael scott is told you need to fire like two people from someone above and he doesn't want to fire anyone but then he actually has to go and choose who they are now this is not apples to apples that's a sitcom obviously not real life <laughs> but the point is is like this shit happens in corporate America. Now, that doesn't mean it's good and I don't like it. And the, what what probably should have happened is Vince said or, and Nick Khan say to Triple H, look, the roster is too fat. You got to cut 10 people. Choose who you want to cut. That's how we would want it to go as people who love NXT. Continue sure. with your point. I'm sorry.
1: And, 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 that, and that plays into the larger picture of, which we'll get into in a minute, what the future of NXT is. And you would... You know, if it is becoming more about developmental than a third brand, then yeah, it would make sense for Vince and those people to be the ones to make the cut, because ultimately you would evaluate the wrestlers on are they main event? Are they main roster people? And And that is what NXT was about for a significant period of time. Yes. And that goes back into, again, Triple H's baby. The third brand that he built up is essentially not that anymore. And I, I, I just think seeing these collection of stories just really I just keep thinking about Triple H and I just wonder what kind of his feeling is on everything.
0: And and that's the thing that's really worth exploring a little bit, because I think the other thing that gets lost when when we talk about NXT is how badly COVID-19 derailed what NXT was doing, because not only was the product growing and improving and becoming I thought, more exciting. I know that the booking was a little bit rushed because they were competing with AEW and that wasn't the case before. But they were talking international expansion. They were talking about opening NXT Japan, NXT Mexico, Australia, and they were going to have performance centers at all those sites. And then a pandemic, a -a once-in-a-century pandemic hit, and WWE cut massive costs across the board, including all of those plans. So this thing that Triple H had worked up and developed into a third brand, whether it was called a third brand or developmental, depending on the time of day and what the conversation was, it didn't really matter. It was a third brand. They were on Survivor Series. Um, They had a TV show. It's a third brand, right? They won Survivor Series. They won Survivor Series. So they had built NXT up into something legitimate and, and critically acclaimed, let's not forget. And they were planning to replicate that. Now, maybe not with television shows. And if they had TV shows, maybe they all would have been like NXT UK, which is something we can talk about a little bit later, if at all. But let's not forget that not all of this was like a failure of NXT to beat AEW. There was a lot of extenuating circumstances that have factored into this entire thing, including WWE's budget cuts. A lot of, look, WWE showing record profits, that is a corporate thing. And they're making cuts that they probably don't need to because they're a billion dollar company and they can afford a couple red lines on the balance sheet. But they want to show their investors that every quarter they're making more profits than they were the last quarter. And talent and NXT is now the other things that are left to cut after all the things that they stopped, including their office renovation, international expansion, all these types of things. And yes, Triple H is at the basis of it because this was his baby. But the one thing I wanted to point out that you said, and then we can move on to the second half of this report, is the idea of Triple H taking over the company one day. It was never really from a corporate standpoint. The the idea of the IWC and myself, Brian Campbell, we used to talk about it all the time on In This Corner and then the other podcast, um, was that Triple H would lead creative for WWE. And Stephanie McMahon would be the chairman, the CEO of the company, the person that handled handled all that type of stuff. So the fact that Triple H still seemingly gets to completely run his creative on the NXT side, it doesn't necessarily make me believe that that is not something that would happen in the future should this shit develop. If, If something happens to Vince McMahon, which we hope it doesn't because we would never obviously want that, um... Is Nick Khan gonna say, okay, Bruce Pritchard, you're in charge of creative? Maybe, right? Maybe. But there's also <laughs> the possibility that it's Bruce and Paul Heyman. Or it's only Paul Heyman. I again, I don't think that's gonna happen. Or it's Bruce and Triple H, where Triple H comes up from NXT and they do it together, and you start to see that influence in the product. Because let's not forget the reason Bruce Pritchard is in this creative role that he's in is because in many ways. And this is not meant to be an insult to him. He has historically been said to be a yes man for Vince McMahon. Well, if he's not one of those, and maybe he's able to show a little bit more of his creative side and you get Paul Levesque in there, then maybe creative's not in a shithole when Vince is gone. I mean, it's in a shithole now with Vince McMahon there, right, on the main roster. So I don't know how these cuts and how this NXT news ultimately affects Paul Levesque's career. In WWE, I certainly think it's not positive for it, but I don't know that it's that
1: negative for it either. Maybe. I, I think he had he had created such he'd gathered such a cult following five, six swell, years ago. Yes. Yeah. The, the guy who was hated by the Internet wrestling fans in the early 2000s for burying everybody under the sun and and rightfully so getting that criticism had become the indie darling Booker, essentially, by by just grabbing up all this talent and 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 creating the WWE alternative, essentially. And I think a lot of people hoped that what he was doing at NXT could be the future of WWE. and right. right. It, it, he could still be in charge. It could be whatever. But it feels like... Even if it was a toned-down version yeah, of it, it would, still, well, yeah, it would still be an improvement. N- 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 now we don't know. And now that era of NXT is essentially kind of in the rear view. Well, it may be, right?
0: So that's the next part that we want to talk about is the product itself and the remainder of Meltzer's report and what it could possibly mean. So the presumption from Meltzer, and this was not anything he quoted from a source, this was his take, is that these changes are coming because NXT didn't succeed as a third brand directly up against AEW. Let's not forget, when we put it in the context of reality, that NXT was WWE's or is WWE's third brand, AEW was the main brand. So AEW was always competing against the main roster WWE product. It's just that WWE chose to put its third brand up against it as a means of stemming the tide and, and not allowing it to hit the success that it maybe thought it could. And that now AEW ultimately has being consistently at or around or over a million viewers every single week. That's a threat. 700,000 is not nearly as much of a threat, right? So the idea from Meltzer is that because NXT didn't succeed, I guess, in killing AEW, which again, I don't even think was ever the point. I think it was just to slow them down, that it's going to revert back to more of a developmental product featuring, quote, big guys and, quote, young guys. And then he referred to it as the Curtis Axel era of NXT that it's going to go back to which I believe was his words, not the words that were quoted to him. And then he said that the specific items mentioned are that they're not going to be an expensive, you know, high-end version of indie wrestling anymore. And then Meltzer quoted a WWE source or a memo that said, quote, no more midgets. And then, quote, no one starting in their 30s, but instead box office attractions and main characters but there would be exceptions to the rule in terms of age and in terms of, quote, no more midgets. So there's a lot in there that I have a problem with, both in terms of what it might mean for NXT, but also the way Meltzer reported it. Let's start with the Curtis Axel era of NXT comment. That's not actually something WWE could go back to unless it's going to lose the USA Network deal. And considering it's getting... Seven hundred to 800,000 viewers per week when it's on USA Network with a $50 million television contract. I don't think that deal is going anywhere. And even if it gets pulled from USA Network, I'm assuming there it'll be in a, a Peacock exclusive where it's still a show like that and they're still making significant money and USA Network, NBC, is, go, is gonna want a quality product. The Curtis Axel era, let's not forget, got us recruits who became Bray Wyatt, Wade Barrett, and Daniel Bryan, who is a smaller guy, let's not forget as well. And it also had Ryback and Heath Slater, who went on to have shorter but strong enough careers in WWE. The Curtis Axel era of NXT came before NXT arrival, which is what kicked off the brand change to the hour-long WWE Network television show. Now, there were some growing pains at that time, but that was when the brand was truly a developmental product aimed at creating stars for the main roster and nothing else. And that's the era starting about six months after that in, uh, I think it was with NXT, R evolution, that a lot of fans have been begging NXT to return to, saying that ever since then it's changed for the worse because of the indie wrestling. And as I said Tuesday, that's revisionist history because the last two years or three years of NXT are the best it's ever been. In terms of the TV product, the the hour-long or two hour long product that you're getting, the wrestling and the storytelling, it's been as good as ever. But anyway, NXT becoming more of a developmental product is something fans said they wanted and that they were tired of there no longer being a talent rotation. So for that to now be met with consternation and concern that NXT is dead and Vince McMahon is going to kill it again, These are fans, these are things fans said they wanted as little as a couple of weeks ago. Not me. I like NXT as its own brand. I'm just pointing out the crisis in conscience that some fans seem to have in wanting to criticize WWE no matter what it does, even if it's something they said they wanted as little as two weeks or a month ago. And all of this happens largely because AEW exists. Now, Chris, the part of Meltzer's comments that stood out to me was no more midgets in quotes, because obviously that's a striking non-PC phrase that has direct connotations. And also the quote, no one's starting in their thirties. Now there's obviously no excusing the former comment if it was a comment that was written down and verbatim. But if we're being honest, Vince McMahon has always preferred bigger guys, despite smaller ones constantly getting over in the history of his company. Shawn Michaels, CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, just as an example. Well, so so he can say. Those latter two were reluctantly, but yes. Oh, no, 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 definitely (laughs) reluctantly. 100% reluctant, but they got over and they were multi-time world champions, okay? So he can say, I only want big guys all day and night, but not everyone is 6'4", not everyone's 250 pounds, and small guys always have and always will succeed in WWE, even if it's against, as you pointed out, Vince McMahon's wishes. And then lastly, people took the no one starting in their 30s to mean that NXT's roster will have no one in their 30s, period. I took it to mean WWE is not going to take people in with no wrestling experience or limited wrestling experience who are above age 30 and put them in developmental because it's not worth their time or energy to create stars with shorter career spans. That's definitely not something you want out there publicly, but it's also not really the worst rule to have for a developmental brand if you're going in that direction. So my point in going through that little rant and tirade, Chris, is I feel like there's a lot of consternation and potential overreaction to a singular report from Meltzer that I don't even know that the fans who are reading it and
1: reacting to it are actually thinking it through. Well, so let's start with the no smaller people comment. And when I think about that, I think about people like Adam Cole, like Tommaso Ciampa, like Johnny Gargano—guys who came up and had a cup of coffee on the main roster, and, and sometimes had a little bit of success, but are the kind of guys you know Vince McMahon doesn't see as main event type of guys,
0: and never I, has though in and his, never his entire has. life.
1: Yep. Correct. And so I can, I am so I'm not surprised. When he says something like like, that's what like that's what comes to mind to have those guys at the top of NXT. I think Vince sees that and says, I don't see my future WrestleMania main adventures here as much as we love it with NXT. Exactly. It's just never been the thing for Vince. And the flip side, you go, you 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 see what AEW does and the indie guys that they bring in for one offs and all kinds of things. There's a lot of small dudes there. And, And as you kind of think about it and think about Vince's comment and see what other people are doing. You, you, you get it. He wants and he wants more people like Roman Reigns and like Drew McIntyre. And those guys are box office hits like you, you and John Cena, by the way, let's not forget s- s- small big doesn't guarantee box office doesn't guarantee box office success and small doesn't mean you can't be. But, you know, there's a certain thing that just has always worked with. let me let, let
0: me let me interrupt you one more time.
1: Yeah. Uh, in the history of wrestling. Right.
0: Who are the biggest stars? The big guys. Yes, Shawn Michaels is super popular. Um, Although Shawn's a little bit on the bigger side compared to some other people I'm going to mention. But Daniel Bryan, CM Punk, uh, Kofi Kingston obviously is very thin um, despite being taller. Uh, But in the history of wrestling, the biggest stars, the guys that Vince McMahon made stars and and wants wants to get back to making, Andre the Giant, Hulk Hogan, Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, John Cena. I mean, Roman yeah. Reigns. Now that's your list. Now there's space for the Seth Rollinses. And yes. they're and again a little bit taller than the other people we're talking about. And, and there's space for the Shawn Michaels, who had a great run, and Bret Hart again, but those guys again are a little bit taller than the yeah. CM Punks and the especially the Daniel Bryans and the Adam Cole's and the Johnny Garganos. So while I don't like to hear it, and I don't think that anyone should be limited from being a potential breakout superstar, main eventer, box office champion for WWE because of their height or their size. This is coming from a person who, throughout decades upon decades of doing this, has noticed that the biggest names are bigger dudes.
1: I'm not saying that that's not worth arguing against. But that's not surprising to me that he would say that is what, I'm, no, is what and, my point and is. It, and it ties into, again, what the purpose of NXT could be moving forward. If it's about developing future main event stars. WWE has done a bad job for a decade now of developing new major stars. It Ever has. since John Cena in 2005, the only the only crossover like mainstream famous guys are CM Punk and Dan O'Brien, which happened reluctantly. And and the,
0: and by the way, Daniel Bryan, not mainstream. I mean, the yes chant got mainstream. The
1: yes chant. Daniel People Bryan don't know knows, the name Daniel Bryan. It like it was. So I went to Michigan State, and in in twenty thirteen, yes. the right, team right. did the yes chant. There was a report that that led to him leaving the wide family. Like it, it the yes yes it's the yes chant. But Hulk Hogan, The Rock, they get over by catchphrases. It, it, it's fine. People understand what that is. And then the other one is probably Roman Reigns. I think they've they've eventually gotten there where I think he is a big enough star. But they don't build those next guys. So I can understand them saying, hey, we need to go look to NXT and say, who are going to be our next big stars? Because we're not developing big stars. And he doesn't see someone like Johnny Gargano or Adam Cole as the next big star. Maybe he's wrong, but his his history would tell him that he's right. So I I understand why they want to go with generally bigger people based on what they now want to get out of NXT. The other part is the 30 or nobody under 30 type thing. I don't know how to read that. You know, you talked about nobody over 30 with without wrestling experience. Maybe this means more of, Hey, if we get a guy like AJ Styles, they're going straight to the main roster. We're not sending that right. ba- we're not sending Free right. Balor. We're not sending Samoa Joe to NXT. They're just going to go straight to the main roster. And if, so you can get a popular wrestler who's, 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 who's over 30, but they just probably won't go to NXT. The which quote was, is, the
0: quote was to clarify no one starting in their thirties. So yeah. to me, that means starting
1: their either starting their wrestling career or how, how many who's how not many, a name have, at all. Go ahead. Well, I don't know who, who is starting wrestling in their thirties in NXT right now. I don't, Braun I, I, they did. get, they get former, well, they get some former football players and some former weightlifters, but I think they're still going to go for those guys. I, 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 I think they still will. So you know it's you think about who, who, some of the biggest guys who came from NXT your Finn Balor's your Kevin Owens your 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 things like that there can still be room and i hope they continue to do so it just it just potentially means they don't spend time down in NXT
0: right and Strowman's an example he started literally at age 30 now of course they still got plenty of time with him but he took so long to become decent in developmental that by the time he got called up you know, he had a short run. They fired him. I, again, I wouldn't have fired Braun Strowman, but they see the guy's 37 and I guess he had some medical issues and they're like, you know, and he's getting paid a lot of money. And they're like, this isn't worth it anymore. If, if Braun Strowman was 27, I don't know that he gets cut. So again, that's just what the, the quote is from Meltzer secondhand through a source. We don't know if, if Vince McMahon said it. We don't know if someone wrote it on a memo. That's just what was kind of got passed on. But- When you look at the releases, and again, as I said, there was only a couple of surprises—Bronson Reed, which was just a shocker because he was an easy call-up on the main roster, incredibly talented, and perhaps maybe like a Jake Atlas, just because he has such a significant amount of potential and he's young. But when you couple all of that and and the conversation that we just had with the fact that Meltzer cites a single source, and for those of you who listen and may not know this, Chris and I are literally journalists in our full-time professions. And we know the cautions and dangers that come with quoting a singular source, especially when they're citing a document that maybe you don't have eyes on. This is just not something overall, this report that I want to preemptively get worked up about. I'd much rather see this play out and get angry if what I believe to be the most consistent brand in wrestling gets ruined rather than act the way most fans are, at least on the internet, and declare a time of death for NXT based on one report that hasn't even come to fruition yet. The NXT episode we got on Tuesday was better than the episode we got over the last three weeks. And the ratings actually proved that out. So, you know, I understand that these changes, if they do happen, they're probably not going to happen until after TakeOver. It would make sense for the show after that to be a new starting point. But when they're talking about the changes being a new logo focusing more on younger talent, um, and either calling people up who don't fit some of those categories, or if not, releasing them, which it seems like they already did. I, I don't know that there's that much to get worked up about yet. When, as I said on Tuesday show, a lot of the concern trolling and comments about NXT not being good anymore, compared to the good old days, it's a lot of revisionist
1: history. Well, so it like it really is. We, we kind of talked about this on Tuesday, but I'm someone who used to watch NXT when it was on the network for an hour, and I don't watch it I mostly don't watch it now. I'm more busy, but also 2 hours. To me, it's not as enjoyable to watch. I'm not going to say it's better or worse, but what I've always loved about NXT more than anything else is the crowd. Yes. And crowd in the full sale crowd, especially at the takeovers. It was the only WWE crowd you could find that trusted the, what they were seeing in front of them. There was no concern trolling. There was no uh, just waiting for something to go wrong. There was a trust factor between them and the crowd and it created such an energy and the pandemic, tore that apart it tore it apart be- yep. be- because for a long time you didn't have crowds and you have the cwc you can't even see them it's weird you don't really know it's just it to me it's and, and, and then the takeover in a couple weeks is going to be at the Capitol wrestling center again so to me it's lost that special feeling the spark and so i yeah yes and so i don't think making this change is necessarily a bad thing if they're if it's if we may not get back to what it was before i mean i used to i used to say like if 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 you're watching wrestling with somebody who's never watched it before what would you show them i would show them one of those tag team matches that used to open up a takeover the, yes the, the diys the 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 dash and dawson or the five-way
0: ladder match one of those yes
1: like yeah. I, I would show them the, though that was the absolute best wrestling there was in america at the time and it's just not that anymore and a lot and and this is a big part of this is because of AEW, and, and I said this Tuesday, but, but Enzo Amore made a good point in saying that NXT used to be the WWE alternative. AEW became that the fans migrated over there as the place that they can trust as the non WWE thing, a NXT, AEW WWE lost the war, so to speak. And that's okay. I I, I think at this point, you can't get back to what you had, especially because AEW is there to pick up a lot of the talent that old NXT would have. So I don't necessarily think going in the wrong direction's is a bad decision. But I also understand the people who missed those glory days of NXT because that, w- that was a really, really fun time and it's okay to look back fine. Well, yeah.
0: I mean, there, there's a cup, couple differentials between all that. I, I want to shout out Sean McDermott at I'm Board Brother because I did say that we're going to read questions here and he did ask the question, how much do you believe being in the CWC for takeovers and TV is affecting it as opposed to being in full sale on arenas? And it's massive, which you it's just pointed me. out, Chris. Yeah. It's it's a huge difference. The, the wrestling is... I still think the wrestling was great and the shows are good and the storylines are good, but the spark that's created by the fans was so integral mm-hmm. to NXT success. You could make the argument. In fact, I will make the argument now that between Raw, SmackDown, AEW, and NXT, NXT was most affected by the loss of crowds. Yes. Because in WWE, the crowds weren't that great on the main roster anyway, especially you know when they're touring and the, and the stadiums, the arenas, I'm sorry, aren't that full. The NXT crowd was always full. It was always boisterous. When you get to a pay-per-view weekend, even if the WWE show wasn't good, the NXT show would be great and the crowd would tell you that. And the crowd yeah. would lift it up and say, this yep. is the, one of the best pay-per-views of the year. Even if sometimes that takeover wasn't.
1: Maybe it was the third best one of the year, but the, it, the crowd made it feel like it, it was the best. always one. delivered. They always delivered and it felt so, bigger because of that crowd. So
0: that should not be forgotten when people talk about uh, NXT, going back to the glory days of NXT. But the thing you said about Enzo Amore and that you said on the podcast podcast on Tuesday. I got to say, folks, I've been saying it for over a year at this point that there was... Before AEW existed, the only way you could fight WWE if you wanted to fight WWE, which a lot of fans do because they have that in their head that the product is absolute dog shit and there's nothing redeeming about it whatsoever. The only way you could fight it with something that the majority of fans were seeing was not with Ring of Honor. It was not with... NGPW, which again was, you know, a very niche audience, even when it was really popular. It was with the thing that was going on inside the house, Triple H fighting up against Vince McMahon. Triple H is the best. Vince McMahon is the worst. That was the narrative. And they were able to do that with NXT. But the second that these same fans were allowed to fight against WWE without consuming a WWE branded product, which NXT, of course, is because it's an internal product. And they had AEW to sink their teeth into, then they dove into AEW. And not only did they say, fuck WWE, which they always believed, so at least they were consistent on that, but then they were saying, fuck NXT also. To be
1: fair. Because they had
0: AEW to hold on to.
1: And also because WWE moved NXT to specifically position it against AEW. Yes and no. So again, I I go back to that argument too,
0: because I want to talk about both sides of the coin here. NXT was always on Wednesday at 8 p.m. Now, did they move it to USA Network and move it to two hours to directly compete with AEW? 100% they did. However, Triple H, and I interviewed Triple H on numerous occasions. He told me television was in the plans for NXT. And the last time I interviewed him, which was inside of a year before Dynamite started, he told me he expected NXT to be on TV inside of a year. So my belief is... NXT probably would have been on USA Network for a one-hour show on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. in, I don't know, February of the next year. And instead, because AEW existed, Triple H and and Vince McMahon and everyone else got USA Network to bring them on in September at two hours instead of February or whatever date at one hour. So I believe you are 100% right that WWE took NXT and used it as a weapon against AEW. But I don't believe 100% of it going to TV was about AEW. I think it would have been there anyway. But yes, the way they did it and the timing of it was 100% to fight AEW.
1: And and, and, it it created a war where you had to pick a side. You had to pick AEW, NXT. Well, you didn't because I didn't. But, but fans, did. I'm, I'm, fan, fans did. I, hey. I said from the beginning, hey, you don't need to stand for one billionaire over another. We can enjoy They're all. They're both of billionaires and both are yes, great people. But, let's but, be honest. Right? <laughs> but but there was always going to be that way, and AEW certainly fed into it, obviously. And, and so you know, it, it was a war, even if it didn't have to be in AEW. AEW wanted, and just the landscape changed. The pandemic really undercut NXT, as did AEW, kind of starting around that same time, and, and in the end. WWE is going to recalibrate what it does with NXT, and, and given the landscape of things, I I don't necessarily think it's a bad decision. I'm very curious, like you said, what it means for the two hour TV show. I mean, I don't think they're going to bring back the game show. <laughs> I mean, I mean, they could do that. Maybe I would watch that, but uh right, like um, the only like like and again because I, I did it's not, it's not necessarily back to the genesis of McGillicuddy.
0: Right, exactly, and that's what I was saying. Like when Meltzer said Curtis Axelera, it gave such a negative connotation in people's minds. But again. The Curtis Axel era actually developed a number of main roster stars. I mean, Bray yep. Wyatt and Braun Strowman, main, uh, Strowman wasn't in it, I'm sorry, but Bray Wyatt, who was in it, main events in SummerSlam last year, and, was, and people are super pissed that he got cut from the company, right? Um, but, but it was the Curtis Axel era that I think he was referring to was what happened immediately after that, when they had the bigger guys and the stars and things like that. And that's an era that people were pining to get back to. The Curtis Axel era of NXT, again, didn't have TV. It wasn't on cable. It, it didn't even have a show.
1: Right. I mean, it, it didn't. No, I'm it sorry. Felt it felt like a little different. Yeah. Yeah. It felt like the cool thing that nobody was paying attention to. And so, it, it, it won't be that now because it has the TV. So that's why it's. Right.
0: The so, so they're not going to get back to that. Like those two things don't fix, fit together unless right. NXT is getting canceled and or moved back to the network at a one-hour show. If all of that happens, then okay, then all of this is right in line and we do have every reason to be concerned. But that's what I'm getting back to saying here is that the, the between the revisionist history, between people taking Meltzer's report to this extreme, it created so much negativity surrounding NXT that just has not played out on television. And until it does... I'm not going to sit here and read on a on a certificate or on a, a piece of paper the time of death for NXT until it's actually dead. Sure. You don't declare something dead before it's dead. And I don't see that happening the way the extremes of Meltzer's comments could be taken. So yeah. that's how I stand here. I'm going to read some of these DMs because we promised we would. Although, unfortunately, guys, we actually talked about a lot of these topics in our conversation. I thought we'd pause and get around to it. That's my fault. but um, uh, uh, at sports one pod. I don't know the name. It was a bunch of Hebrew letters. I haven't read Hebrew in, uh, like 18 years at this point. So I'm sorry, but they said if Bronson Reed is almost the only wrestler NXT release that shocked you, how much of a huge revolution is it anyway? That's what I said. I don't know that it's going to be, but maybe there's more releases. And if more releases come down and we start seeing, Kyle O'Reilly gone and Roderick Strong gone
1: and this person and and, that. and, a, and Adam Cole's contract and, and if Adam that's not, right that's if Adam Cole doesn't sign with the main roster right but if he if he leaves we're gonna have this whole blow up again and we're gonna we're gonna be having this conversation again
0: right and and by the way Adam Cole there's every reason for him to go to AEW but there's also yes. every reason for him to take a WWE deal and go to the main roster I don't believe he's gonna get quote wasted or quote ruined like everyone says just because most smaller guys maybe aren't treated amazing. Adam Cole has so much charisma, so much talent where it's almost impossible to not utilize that. Yes. Even for WWE. Uh, the second part of this question was, do you believe we'll see a triple H resignation, not from WWE, <laughs> but at least movement
1: to a different role outside of the brand after the speculated changes? No, I don't. I think he's very comfortable no. in his role. He he wants to do the wrestling. I, I mean, I've like, I like fantasize with my brother. Like if he just like, left and made his own company out of spiders. I'd It'd watch that out. company. I'll tell you, <laughs> yeah, I know, I, I know, but no, no, I, I'm sure he'll, he's clearly, I mean, his public statements reaction to a lot of this stuff. He's, he's, he's a company guy. He's, he's the son-in-law of Vince McMahon. Still, uh, he's, he's not going anywhere and, and uh, he'll figure something out.
0: And by the way, unless WWE or should I say NXT changes its policies, there's going to be a press conference next week ahead of take uh, takeover 36. And I'm on those calls. I've been on every single call for years. Um, if someone else doesn't, I will ask him about this report. So I have, a, I, I will assume that we're going to get answers on these questions from Triple H's mouth next week. Uh, Brian at B-R-Y-E-N 64. He said, you kind of touched on it on Tuesday's episode, but what are your thoughts on the revisionist history about NXT? For example, I saw a ridiculous take saying Gargano, Champa, the feud, ruined NXT with their overhyped feud. When it was an example of what we all want from pro wrestling, long-term storytelling, awesome moments banger matches. Uh, Yeah, first of all, Gargano Champa, the indie style, nothing ruined NXT. NXT did change, yes. Um, There was a time where NXT was really about bringing in top tier talent and moving it over to the main roster. Shinsuke Nakamura, Samoa Joe, although Joe actually was not initially signed for that. Uh, Finn Balor, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, all guys like that. And then eventually, NXT became a brand and when it became right. a brand, the guys on top weren't guys like that. And there were people waiting in the wings, the Keith Lees, the Dijacks, the Damian Priest, who were that next set of people. And I think because that set never got a lot of time on top because of Gargano, Cole and Champa, they didn't get the level of prestige that the right. ones that Came before them did. Therefore, when they got exactly. moved over to the main roster, they didn't feel like as big of deals. And then on the back end, they didn't really have anyone to replace them with because NXT changed who it was hiring and because AEW existed and took a lot of those
1: potential names like a Wardlow, just as an example of one individual person. So, yeah, so, yeah. go ahead. No, I th- th- to me, that's when things kind of changed with NXT was when it officially really became a third brand because, you know, Kevin Owens was there for a short period of time. Sami Zayn was there for a short period of time. It, guys rotated. Andrade, through. Drew McIntyre,
0: and, Alistair Yeah, Black.
1: and when it yes. became clear that, all right, Gargano, Cole, they're not going to move up like everybody else did. To me, it kind of just, it made them feel a little bit less important. Like, I, I know the idea was to elevate NXT but to me, the idea of the call-up created a lot of drama with NXT. And when you knew these guys weren't going anywhere, uh it it took away maybe some of the the, the kind of the meta stakes, so to speak, of, of of what things meant, of the idea that this was as high as this person was going to get. Um and, and, and to me that was that was a point of change when it, when because it, when it, you stopped rotating through guys, you had to keep the same stuff going. We had to keep doing Cole Gargano. We had to keep doing Cole. Kyle O'Reilly we had to keep doing Chopper Gargano because they're just there wasn't they weren't going to move on. So we were just going to keep doing these over and over. The other thing as well is that the guys who got called
0: up. And by the way, I, I know we're focusing on men, women. There really hasn't been any negativity like like from the women. No. There have been call ups. They've all, almost all been successful yes. or been featured in significant roles. Um, I mean, Shayna Baszler, maybe you could say is a little bit of a disappointment, but other than her, there's really
1: nothing. Right. And even NXT NXT is what changed women's wrestling. It did the, the four, the four horse women, the main events at WrestleMania and and all these other shows that started with NXT women's wrestling. And by the way, it's still great. great It's still great. It's still really good. Yeah. Io
0: Shirai, Raquel Gonzalez, Tony storm. She just got called up. Tony storm. Um, we just saw the debut of not the debut, but the repackaging of Gigi Dolan. Like there is a ton of female talent still in, in NXT. So the reason why we're focusing on the men is because really the women, there's nothing to be concerned about, right? And, and there yeah. hasn't been. Also because most women aren't six six four, two 250 pounds, right? So you know in, they're not looking for big women, I guess, in the same way. You know, just for being honest. Yeah. Um. But I, I want to go back to the other thing I was saying with this, which is in addition to when we're talking about the waves of talent coming up and like you had the Nakamura and McIntyre and and Balor and Kevin Owens, that group, the next group, Aleister Black, Andrade, they're really those two. They didn't succeed the way the ones did before them, largely because of WWE's booking. So then it's like, wait a minute, some of this talent that's getting called up that we loved in NXT, the presentation of Andrade with Zelina, The presentation of Aleister Black, top to bottom, how dominant he was, that's not getting carried over on the main roster. And it's one thing when Asuka eventually loses at WrestleMania or when Shinsuke Nakamura doesn't win the WWE title, but at least he's winning uh, the Royal Rumble. And at least Kevin Owens is thrust into the Universal Championship picture. And Finn Balor is the first ever Universal Champion. But now you're seeing people get called up. I'm talking about back with Black and Andrade. And you're like, wait, nothing's really happening with these guys. And then Keith Lee gets called up and, oh, wow, he's getting pushed. But then he has the health issue and we haven't seen him on TV. Damian Priest, he's getting pushed now. It's really exciting. He's had the same match 15 different times. D- DiJack gets called up. We're excited for him because he's really talented. He's T-bar in retribution. Yeah. So these there were two consecutive waves of this main event level talent call up for the men where they're failing. So you have that combined with the change in wrestling style for NXT it doesn't mean the NXT product was bad, um, but it does really make you think about all the different factors that led to what is now happening. So I just think it's worth kind of going over that. And yes, I do stand by the fact it's revisionist history that the one hour TV program on WWE Network was quote better than the two hour show on USA Network. It, it wasn't, wasn't
1: a be- It wasn't a better as I said Tuesday, but it wasn't a better show. But it left you wanting more and being excited to see what happens the next week. Raw doesn't do that. SmackDown mostly does that. And, and AEW does that. And I think that's, I think that's a, an important clarification on better or worse. It's kind of the feeling coming out of, oh man, I can't wait for next week. And that the one hour NXT often did that, I think. And
0: I still feel that some weeks from NXT, but you're right. Not every week, which is what it used to be. You're hundred percent right. Uh, Johnny Stonewall at ministry of smart. Very good name. Uh, <laughs> What do you think the changes, if true, mean for Samoa Joe and who could you see beating him for the title? I don't think they mean anything for Samoa Joe, because, again, I believe the over 30 comment was about people starting there. And Meltzer also said in his report that I think I forgot to mention that there's going to be exceptions to the rules. And Samoa well, Joe sure. is clearly yeah. an exception to the rule. Yeah. Uh, who do I see beating him for the title? Pete Dunn, because they've given so many indications with stare downs
1: backstage that Pete Dunn's the next guy. Yep. I mean, I, I don't watch it week to week, so I haven't followed some mojos closely, but um, okay. that would make sense.
0: Uh, the Jeremy Smith Show says, at Jeremy Smith Show says, uh, reports are WWE wants NXT to focus on larger athletes, produce potential main event guys. It's hard to see this report being 100% accurate given the release of Bronson Reed. Yeah, I know. That's my point. Uh, <laughs> if that's the case, one, what do you think that does for the futures of smaller guys not named Adam Cole? So like Gargano, Ciampa, O'Reilly, Strong, Dunn, Grimes, Kushida, etc. cetera. Two, how much stock? would you put into the booking of the breakout tournament as an indicator of where WWE wants NXT to go? It's two really good questions. Um, Everyone that you listed, I think is okay. I mean, maybe just because Kyle O'Reilly does struggle in a promo standpoint, I'd be, and and Roderick Strong too, maybe there's something to be concerned about with those guys. I I hate to say that, but you know, maybe. Uh, But done, I mean, personality plus great promo, He's he's not as small as some of those other guys. Grimes, tons of character. He's made. He's going to go into the main roster. At worst, his career will be comedic. Um, And that's not bad because comedic wrestlers have really long careers. Um, Gargano, Ciampa, they're strong. I think they're going to stay in NXT. Triple H will protect them. And Kushida, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we thought he was going to get moved up and not, not to necessarily the main roster, but the mid card and the upper card. I don't like that he's in the cruiserweight picture right now, uh, but again, he's a little bit more limited, uh, even in personality than someone like a Shinsuke Nakamura. So I don't know what his future is like, but I don't think it is a death knell for those guys, if that's your point. And then regarding the breakout tournament, as I've said, this breakout tournament has been a huge disappointment compared to the one two years ago. The talent level just isn't anywhere near the same. I guess if Odyssey Jones wins instead of Carmelo Hayes or Brendan Vink, I'm forgetting his new name right now. If Odyssey Jones is the one who wins, I guess that's an indication of something. But I expect either Vink, whatever, Duke Hudson, I think is his new name, uh, or Carmelo Hayes to win. And as long as one of them wins, then I don't think it says anything. Uh, you don't probably know about the breakout tournament. And uh, let me just move on. No, I got a lot more here. to talk about. Uh, yeah. Aaron Guzman at SIGEP underscore caveman 86. Uh, he said, regardless of the rumor changes coming, how difficult do you think it will be for NXT to get international talent moving forward when they see people are being released as early as six months after getting hired. I don't know the specifics on work visas and how long people can stay in the US after being released, but that has to be a major factor. So a lot of international talent these days has actually been starting with NXT UK. Uh, Rhea Ripley, obviously, is a great example. Tony Storm, uh, those are both Aussies, New Zealanders who, are, who started with the UK before getting moved over to the United States. There's actually not been that much international talent that really starts in NXT United States But I don't think it's going to be that big of an issue. I think you got to bet on your career. And yeah, I know that's a long way to move. If you're coming from Japan, you're coming from Australia. But it is still WWE. It is still the number one product and brand in the world. Uh, and, And AEW's roster, which would be the other place for people to go to strike it big for America, it is huge. So are you going to go to AEW where maybe you don't have to worry as much about getting released quickly? but you're never going to be on dynamite or you're on dynamite. Let's say if you're a woman once every 12 weeks, because the women get no time. And so you most, most of your stuff's going to be on darker elevation. I don't think WWE needs to worry about that.
1: Yeah. uh, Like you said, a lot of them go to UK already. I think there are, I think the fact that AEW exists and there are other wrestling companies in the U S maybe helps in case, you know, you do get cut there, but that's about all I got. Uh, Martin McDonald
0: at Martin Mick one. He said, do you think all of this could ultimately lead to a WWE sale? Disney springs to mind. Uh, Disney does not spring to mind for me. No offense. Uh, Disney is ABC and ESPN. Uh, WWE has two massive television deals with their competitors, Fox and NBC. So I think if it was anyone, it would be Fox or NBC, probably NBC considering the Peacock deal. Um, But I don't I still don't know that this speaks to a sale. I don't I don't think. If you're selling, you create this much negative attention. Yes, they're cutting costs, which would make it more attractive uh, potentially for for a seller. Maybe this is for an investor. Maybe NBC or Peacock, NBC Universal will take a stake in WWE, 33%, 50%, something like that. I could see that happening with a sale maybe further down the line another decade from now, more than I do straight up selling 100% of the company or whatever part of the company is still owned by WWE shareholders and not obviously um, the stock market, because obviously it is a publicly traded company. Uh, The Mark at the Mark GP, more of a comment, but rebooting and refreshing is what NXT has always been about. No wonder it got stale. We haven't refreshed the male talent pool in a while. This might be the kick in the ass NXT needs to get back to former glory. That's certainly a sunny way to look at it. I don't think based on reports that it's that positive. But maybe, like, I don't know, right? That's why I'm not getting worked up about it, Chris. I don't want to say that NXT is dead until it's dead. Or at least until it's dying.
1: Yeah, like I said, there's just, there's, it's not as simple as I think a lot of people are making it out to be. And we'll see, such as, again, they're going to have two hours of TV every week. Unless that changes. Right. Then, then it's then it's not going to change that much.
0: And then last, Mitchell at Mitchell Hawks 5. What can they do to fix Raw? I find it almost unacceptable Except for Riddle and Orton promos. So, Mitchell, no offense to you, dude, but I asked for NXT questions, and like you immediately responded with a RAW question. But I figured, you know what? It's funny enough that you did that, so let's answer it. Um, here's what RAW needs to be, to do, Chris. The roster badly needs to get refreshed. It badly yes. needs more mid card and main event talent for the men that SmackDown has not too much of, but it's in abundance in some ways, given the amount of time they have on television. They got to stop with the endless rematches, pay off storylines, and move on get away from Lily and use other women like Naomi there Ross fixed.
1: Yep. A big part of it is especially yeah the main event, male picture is not good. SmackDown has all the stars. If you want to tie this back to NXT, if you're going to change the direction of NXT, call a bunch of those folks up. I mean, it's a real, real shame. It really sucks that we never got, never really got the undisputed era on the main roster. And now Bobby Fish has been released, so it's not happening. But you want to refresh it. Just you obviously Cole and O'Reilly are in a feud, so you can't exactly. But but um, call some of those people up. You just you got to refresh the roster because it's just it's it's very stale. Absolutely.
0: Okay, so that is our full breakdown of that NXT news as promised. Uh, let's move on to actually what happened on television this week. Uh, we'll start with NXT. We'll go to AEW. We'll try to move quickly because we did take a significant. Uh, amount of time, obviously breaking down that first part on NXT, Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly. They did their contract signing for the third match. William Regal announced the match will be the best of two of three falls with each man choosing a stipulation and Regal picking one for the third fall if necessary. O'Reilly chose pinfall or submission. Cole chose a street fight and promised to sweep O'Reilly 2-0. O'Reilly said he'll do whatever it takes to put Cole down for good. But Cole said O'Reilly has been riding his coattails for 13 years and can't step to the greatest NXT superstar of all time. Cole provoked O'Reilly, they started brawling, and Regal announced that Fall 3 would be contested inside of a steel cage. So you know we're definitely getting that. I'm a bit mixed on this booking because Cole versus Johnny Gargano in the 2 of 3 Falls match, it was super self-indulgent, and especially during the third fall a couple years ago, and this is very similar booking. I didn't necessarily love that. Also, look, you guys know, I've been talking about them doing Loser Leaves Town between these two for six months at least for this point. It felt like NXT was directly screwing with me, booking a three stipulation match with none of them being Loser (laughs) Leaves Town. Now, I'm sure it seems to me like this is going to main event the show and it's going to be Cole Swansong and NXT either way. But if he's going to leave for AEW or if he's going to leave for the main roster, they could have done Loser Leaves Town. So I don't really get why they did all of this. I think the match is going to be great. I hope they've learned lessons about not being overindulgent.
1: Yeah, you've got. I mean, you have to know by now. I think if Cole is staying with you or not, and if he is, then you gotta call him up. I feel like at this point. So I was waiting for it. I (laughs) was waiting for that exact thing because you I know you. I listened to the Thursday pod, and I know you'd been talking about loser leaves town. It's perfect. Now, does Regal want to technically kick out somebody? I mean, maybe he could say you guys have caused too much ruckus. I can't have both of you here anymore. Yes, it's right there. Third, third one's gonna be loser leaves town and and yeah, so i I also think the first stipulation of regular wrestling is kind of lame totally in the in the context of everything else um I mean, I think maybe submission would have been worse because <laughs> at least you can get a pin in this but well no, uh, I
0: think submission would have been better because then O'Reilly was at least playing to his strengths.
1: yeah, that's true i just I generally hate submission matches because I hate i i they, they not they work a lot of the time. I just I'm not a am not the biggest fan of submission finishes as we've talked with with Lashley and Roman. Um, so, th- I mean, the promo stuff was really good in this. The stipulations were kind of confusing, but they do the break apart. And, you know, so that worked.
0: Uh, Isla Dragunov got a huge ovation from the crowd before cutting a pretty great promo about pain and struggle, meaning more to him than words. Uh, Dragunov then promised to shock the world. And N. Walter's reign atop NXT UK. Pete Dunne came out and told Dragunov he owed him a thank you for putting NXT UK on the map. Uh, but Dragunov answered back that he's going to do what Dunne never accomplished and beat Walter. They chose to fight, uh, and they put that in the main event. They only did get 15 minutes, which was a little disappointing. Uh, we got Dragunov against Dunne. It was British strong style at his best, even though obviously Dragunov is not British. Uh, he focused heavily on impact moves while Dunn went for mat wrestling and submissions. Dragunov countered bitter end and then countered an armbar into a single leg suplex with a bridge for a near fall. Dragunov then hit a flying senton and was ready to finish Dunn. When Walter showed up on the ramp, Dunn took advantage with a bitter end for the win. Walter then tried to attack after, but Dragunov hit a torpedo Moscow to knock him down. So the Schmoz style finish didn't really surprise me, but I thought it would have been Ridge Holland costing Dragunov directly even via DQ maybe, instead of Walter. I wouldn't have put a number one contender in a situation to lose right before he's going to fight for the NXT UK title against a guy who cannot be beaten in Walter. So I I don't get that booking. I don't know why you put him against Pete Dunne. I know that they want to build up Pete Dunne because of... Samoa Joe, which I mentioned earlier, I do think he will be the next challenger. It just didn't feel like the right way to do it, Uh, but it still didn't detract from what was a really good, exciting match. I went 3.75 stars and a B plus, despite it only being 15 minutes. It got both of them over, and it was a nice surprise to get this match in the main event when it wasn't booked ahead of the show. Uh, There was a strong video package ahead of the Karrion Cross Samoa Joe match with Cross talking about putting Joe to sleep, and Joe simply saying he's going to fuck Cross up, but they bleeped, of course, the F word. It was short but solid. Uh, They're going to do a face-to-face next week on the Go Home Show. I'm still not particularly looking forward to this, but the booking has been pretty solid throughout the entire thing. So that's okay. Uh, Index went on their first date with Dexter Loomis stopping by the Garganos to pick Indy Hartwell up. Johnny grilled him like a protective dad while Candice LeRae asked Indy if she had protection. And Indy said yes and then flexed, referring to her muscles, which is really funny. Uh, they went to an Italian restaurant and Indy ordered chicken fingers, and then she found Candace spying on them. Gargano later showed up in a costume trying to snoop while bringing dessert, but the cake wound up on Dexter's face, so Indy licked it off of him. It honestly hurt my soul that Beth Phoenix was not on the call to react to the entire thing, but other than that, this was hysterical and extremely well done, and you guys know I love the way. Now, Austin Theory, we don't know if he's getting called up or if he's just doing dark matches but he's not on NXT right now. And they do keep mentioning him, which is good. Johnny and Candice announced Thursday, in reality, that she's pregnant. So congrats to them that they're having their first child. But now that means she's out of action. And with them trying to keep Indy from Dexter and Austin not being around, I'm starting to wonder if this is the end of the way as we know it. If so, I don't feel fine about that. So while I may not feel great about that potentially ending. Obviously, I love the way you guys know it's like my favorite faction in wrestling. I did love all of these segments on Tuesday night.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, as someone who doesn't watch NXT all the time, I found this incredibly entertaining and I, I wish WWE would do more of these things in general, just get people out in different scenarios to strengthen their character work so we don't only know them as a fighter. Uh, the And the production value was good. This wasn't like, clearly backstage in a room where they put up some curtains to make it look like someone's out to eat. This looked like legitimate. So I I just thought the production of this was really good and made me want to see a lot more of it from WWE as a company. For sure. Uh, Dakota Kai fought Saray. Now, this was supposed to be Saray versus
0: Ember Moon, but Ember was not medically clear to compete. This was a lot of fun. Saray got a near fall with the German suplex bridge. Then she decapitated Kai with the basement dropkick on the ropes but Kai avoided a second one and then later hit a thrust kick in the corner for the clean win. This was a 3.25 star B match, I guess. And Kai obviously had to win as the number one contender. So they did this one right. They just didn't really do it the same way in the main event. Uh, Raquel Gonzalez saved Saray from a post-match beatdown. And the women got 20 minutes to open the show. Again, women, wrestling, NXT. really doesn't get better than this. I I enjoyed what they did here. A hit row cut a promo while standing around a fire that was burning in a trash can inside of what looked like a moving truck. I just didn't understand why they did that instead of it being in a studio. Yes, they said Legado del Fantasma disrespected them and they responded by throwing a luchador mask into the fire. But I mean, they could have lit one on fire in their studio or cut it with scissors or something like that. You guys know I love both these groups. This was a very strange promo segment that was not for me. Uh, LA Knight fought Andre Chase Knight cut a good promo about Cameron Grimes screwing himself last week. Despite Knight leaving him hanging in the tag team match, he completely squashed Chase in under like one minute, winning with the BFT. Knight then forced Grimes to shine his shoes when Ted DiBiase entered and completely lost his place on the microphone two or three times in one segment. Knight came through saying he'll put the million dollar championship on the line against Grimes, but if Grimes loses, DiBiase will have to become his butler instead of Grimes. DiBiase accepted that on Grimes' behalf. No hate on Ted DiBiase here, but he unfortunately kind of ruined the segment. I'm not sure how much better it would have been if he played his role perfectly and didn't forget his lines, but this story's gotten quite bland for me. It's gone on way too long. At least Knight stepped in and saved it, but Grimes needs to win and they got to move on and take over. I don't want to see this anymore. Uh, Gigi Dolan fought Amari Miller. Uh, Dolan got a video package where she was cutting the heads off of Black Roses threatening the women's tag team champions. She said NXT was more than just a job and she'd be going after the titles, but not doing it alone, which left me, the viewer, wondering who her partner might be. And I saw the roses. I thought, oh, she's going to team with Mandy Rose. This is a new group. But the video package was strong. It was intriguing. And then it was weird. They painted off immediately when she walked out to the ring with JC Jane, who clearly is going to be that tag team partner. But the curiosity is why wouldn't JC Jane have been in the video package if, you know, there's no tease or anything like that. So whatever. They came out to a cool theme that sounded like Marilyn Manson's sweet dreams. Uh, This was meant to be a relatively quick squash. And Dolan won with a really cool abdominal stretch bomb, a move that I have legitimately never, ever seen before. It was super impressive. And really, the whole presentation of her was impressive. Easily the best that the former Uh, Priscilla Kelly has looked since starting in NXT a few months ago it feels like she's getting the type of push that Zoe Stark recently got in NXT so I'm very excited for her and I'm also wondering now is Mandy Rose going to be part of it if so what role is she going to play
1: yeah I wasn't really familiar with her but I thought this whole package and presentation was really cool And, and she comes out to what sounds like a Marilyn Manson version of um Sweet dreams as her theme. It sounded like I don't know if it's exactly that, but uh, it was a cool little, cool little get in the finisher. Like you said, never really seen that before. That was cool. So uh, I was intrigued by this.
0: Yeah, it gave me a lot of hope for her future. And look, you know, I know it's easy to say, but there was a lot of page vibes coming from Gigi Dolan. And if she can like harness that, man, unstoppable potentially, you know, in NXT and then maybe on the main roster. Uh, Tommaso Ciampa cut a backstage promo about Ridge Holland being nowhere near their level with he and Timothy Thatcher being the paradigm of everything pure and just in NXT. Champa was just about to challenge Holland when Thatcher stopped him cold and made the challenge instead. Now there was a time when I thought Thatcher had nowhere to go in NXT, but credit to Champa and this tag team for making him work extremely well. This was a really good double promo. Holland is still pretty green, so I don't know that him beating Thatcher like makes the most sense, but I also don't see any way that you can have Thatcher beat Holland when he just made his return. So I am a little curious to see how that plays out. MSK, who we haven't seen in like a month or so, uh, mocked Imperium's promo style before saying they're fighting champions ready for Imperium or any other challengers. I thought we were definitely headed for MSK versus Grizzled Young Veterans take TakeOver. But instead of that, later in the show, Kushida and Malcolm Bivens left Regal's office. And then Regal announced that MSK will defend the tag team titles next week against Imperium, with Kushida defending the Cruiserweight title against Roderick Strong. So I don't understand the booking. I'm also really surprised they're not putting MSK on the takeover, even though it already has five matches, but two titles, two title matches on a go-home show next week for a takeover makes for a damn good show. So I do think ultimately it was a good booking. Uh, Odyssey Jones fought Trey Baxter in the NXT breakout semifinal. The crowd was firmly behind Jones, despite Baxter showing off his athleticism. Jones squashed Baxter in the corner and hit a cool one-handed lifting powerbomb for the win. As I've said before, and as I said earlier in the show, this tournament has been lackluster for me compared to the first one a couple years ago. This wasn't a squash, but it was extremely and unnecessarily short. When I wanted to see these guys wrestle, I wanted to see what they could do. Honestly, after the match, cut a quick babyface promo when being interviewed. I liked him a lot. I just wish it was more. And then last for NXT, we had BoA against Drake Maverick. Mei Ying left her chair, I think for like the first time ever, and walked with Boa down to the ring. Xia Lee was nowhere to be found. Whether that's an indication of her future or she's out due to injury from that Gonzalez match, that remains to be seen. Uh, Maverick hit a great top rope cannonball outside, but Mei Ying blew smoke in his face, giving Boa the opening for a roundhouse kick and the win. I don't really have much of a take on this one. Tian started with a lot of intrigue with Xia Lee in particular, but it has faded massively over the last three or four months, where I don't even know at this point whether it's salvageable anymore. So that's it from NXT. I thought it was the best episode that we've had probably in at least three weeks. Um, It got back to consistently good wrestling, good storytelling, things like that. But again, there's just so much negativity surrounding NXT, uh, at least publicly, public sentiment, that I wanna see what happens next week on the Go Home Show. I wanna see what happens at TakeOver. And then I'm very, very curious about the first NXT after TakeOver to see if changes are made and if so, what they are. So with that, let's move over to AEW Dynamite. And we will start with the main event, Uh, Chris Jericho versus Wardlow in the fourth labor of Jericho. MJF opened Dynamite with a taped promo he cut while eating an apple. It wasn't notable other than MJF criticizing Wardlow for failing last time. He was in the same spot against Cody Rhodes, which of course is a key, especially considering the way the match finished. Uh, this got 14 minutes, including a commercial. So the same length as the NXT main event. I don't know why either of these didn't go longer. I thought that was weird. Uh, MJF's role in the match was never clarified, but him being ringside was part of it at a minimum. I think the idea was for him to be an enforcer, someone who could maybe get involved in some way. And then Jim Ross or someone on commentary last week said he'd be a referee. Obviously he wasn't going to be a referee, but him being ringside was part of the stipulation. So, and that takes us into the match. Wardlow kicked out at one after a code breaker. Wardlow then beat Jericho outside and hit two power bombs. Jericho got Wardlow in the walls of Jericho, and MJF raked his nose. And then MJF got caught trying to give Wardlow the diamond ring, and got ejected from ringside. But again, the stipulation was he would be at ringside that the whole match—that yeah. was the point. So him getting kicked out didn't make any sense. It was like raising a steel cage halfway through a steel cage match. Because someone used the cage as a weapon. It just, (laughs) it didn't really make sense. Uh, Jericho then used his baseball bat on Wardlow with the referee distracted and hit the Judas effect for the win. Then Sean Spears attacked and Sammy Guevara made the save. Wardlow took out Sammy and MJF put salt of the earth on Jericho, making him tap. Jake Hager ran down and cleared the ring. MJF grabbed the mic and he announced the stipulation for the fifth labor of Jericho, their match. And that stipulation is that Jericho could not use the Judas effect or his music for their match, saying that MJF is not only Jericho's like match, his contemporary, but also his successor. So I just thought this main event match was a letdown. I gotta say, the booking didn't make a lot of sense. I just didn't really enjoy it. MJF's stipulation for their match is perfect. I just have no idea why it's happening next week on Dynamite instead of at All Out. Why would you rush this? Even if they book an inner circle versus pinnacle match for All Out, that's not as anticipated because we've already seen it a couple of times. So maybe there's a swerve or a booking reason. Uh, Maybe Jericho has to go on tour and he's going to miss all out. I don't think he is. But I just found the booking of this and really the entire labors of Jericho to be rushed
1: and strange. I I thought this one was a little strange. It wasn't bad. I liked it. I just think it could have been a bit better. I I had come in under the impression, like you mentioned, that he was going to be the guest referee. And I thought that would have made perfect sense. Like, it's, y- you set it up. There's no way he can win. Somehow. Uh, he knocks GF, him out and, uses his, and yeah. uses his arm to count three. And he uses his arm to count right. three. Boom. It's, it, like, it writes itself. It's like, right. oh, this is going to be fun. And then it was like, oh, wait, he's just ringside. So this is just a regular match. What What, what is, what, what kind of stip, that's not even a stipulation, <laughs> especially since he got kicked out. So it was unnecessarily like, kind of more boring than it needed to be. But, um, so th- that's what it was. I'm also surprised it's next week, unless there's some other scheduling thing going on, it would have made perfect sense to throw this on an all out or even rampage for whatever. I mean, they've booked now it, it got a little not confusing, but in the show, they booked so many things out, not only for rampage, but also for dynamite next week. And had to like keep track of which one was happening on which day. Uh, so it, also surprised it's just happening on a Dynamite because I, I I love the labors of Jericho. I think they've built this up great. They've had fun with it. They've had some intensity. I think, you know, you, you get an appearance by Hoovie, you get an appearance by Nick Gage. I didn't like the death match, but it, it's I, I understand it's a thing people like. Um, So to then build that up to regular match with Wardlow and then MJF match on Dynamite is a little, that's a bit of a letdown, I think, because I, I think this has been a really good. I think the, the way this is ending is a little bit weird.
0: So maybe we will see what happens next week, you know? Um, maybe maybe it'll all make sense at the end, right? And I think AEW, we can give them a little bit more trust in that than obviously we do WWE, especially um, when it comes to Chris Jericho and MJF. They, you know, their best interests are are paramount uh, to AEW and it's booking and, and you know, it's fans. Uh, the Elite faced the Seidel brothers and Dante Martin. This was the opening match of the show. Omega broke up a double submission by the Seidel's with a couple Snapdragon suplexes. Martin then impressed massively with his incredible athleticism, including a springboard hurricanrana outside and a near fall on a springboard moonsault inside. Omega then hit an Ayushiguroshi and V-trigger, but Martin countered the one-winged angel. Then Omega caught him with a second V-trigger and a one-winged angel, followed by a triple BTE trigger with the Young Bucks helping for the win. Now, Martin was easily the star of this match. This guy is 20 yes. years old. And it is insane what he can do already. Like, holy shit. I I just couldn't believe it. He wasn't just the star of this match, by the way. He was the star of this episode of Dynamite. And the one thing that AEW does exceptionally better, truly, than WWE, it will randomly just take someone and give them like a star-making moment on television. Like, could you imagine if Chad Gable got to wrestle Cesaro for 20 minutes and Gable won the match? And like he, he comes out, and you're like, oh my god, Chad Gable is freaking great, right? AEW does that. The problem is they never really follow up with it. And like with Dante Martin being in a tag team and his partner being injured and not there, you wonder what the next thing is. But for the moment, it was awesome. I actually thought the Young Bucks and the Seidel brothers were rough and really telegraphed in this match. Like, plus Rick Knox was an absolute mess once again. <laughs> I'd give Martin himself like 4.5 stars, if I could like individually grade a single wrestler. But the match as a whole, I don't know, like 3.25 stars, 3.5 stars, a B. It wasn't that good. Martin was a star, though. No question.
1: Yeah, that Hurricane Rana off the top rope to the outside was so fluid. Insane. Like he just, there was just incredible move there. And yeah, yeah, I, I probably say this multiple times in this recap here, but A.W., does a great job of making it seem like the person you're watching on your screen is the most important person. Like they'll bring up someone from the Indies and tell you why they're a big deal before they lose. And, and and they'll make someone look good like, uh, like Dante Martin before they lose. And you know what? That makes everybody look better. It's the opposite of what WWE does when they'll bring up an indie guy to get squash. And now I think, Sometimes AEW does it too much, and Kenny Omega will have a match that goes on too long <laughs> when, he, when it probably shouldn't, uh, considering who he is, but no, this was good. And, and the finish of giving all those finishers to Dante Martin seemed like annoyed a number of people, but I think that was also the point uh, that it's kind of just, you, you kind of lean into it and, and wink at it, because even the Young Bucks made their new Twitter bio is like, yeah Dante did really well at taking all of our finishers ha, 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 ha. So, <laughs> so they they kind of like leaned into that, so yeah, no, this was match wasn't great overall, but I think what it did was now, for a while now people are gonna remember uh Dante Martin and I think back to when the young bucks lost a private party, and it was like, oh man, private party, big deal now now, clearly that didn't a lot of things have happened since then, and they're not maybe where they should be, but yeah, AEW does a good job of elevating people like that. But that,
0: that, that speaks like the private party that speaks directly to my point. Like they were yep, yep. super over, and then FTR came, and they're like, yeah, screw mm-hmm. part the private party. We're going to focus on FTR, right? Um, right? Now, that doesn't mean that in the future they won't be again and that they won't have opportunities. I think they will. They're obviously extremely talented. But you also saw it with like Wheeler Yuda, right? Like they keep putting this guy on TV. He, he really impressed. I think it was last week or maybe it was two weeks ago. But then the follow up this week is just like, didn't look good at all. So so it was just, it's weird the way they do that. And it's the inconsistency. uh, We'll talk about it later of like, of showing your stars on television. Like I have a whole segment. We're going to talk about it in a moment. In fact, you know what? Let me just jump to it right now since I'm I'm kind of previewing it. Malachi Black cut a taped promo about Cody Rhodes having one foot in the grave, referring to him leaving his boot in the ring last week. He didn't really say much else aside from threatening the rest of the roster, Miro also did his standard tape promo where he says nothing but threatens his next challenger. We also got another Santana or NRT's promo on FTR that was the same as the last two weeks. Then we got Ricky Starks and Brian Cage doing (laughs) dueling tape promos that were also identical to last week. All were typical for the respective wrestlers. You can tell the difference, you can, in AEW letting its talent speak on their own. And when they're in the ring cutting a promo or backstage, it's noticeable and it's noticeably better. But these taped promos, where it's like 15 seconds and they say nothing, are so repetitive that I just grouped them together. And it's to the point where it's like, you have all this talent that you sign, much of it from WWE, but a lot of this top-tier talent. Why are they not in front of the crowd weekly? Not all of them. But how do you not have in one week Malachi Black, Andrade, Miro, Santana and Ortiz, Brian Cage, and Ricky Starks? John Moxley and Eddie Kingston, none of them were there. And it's just like, what are you doing with all this? Like, you want to talk about WWE wasting talent. I'm not saying AEW is wasting them yet. Trust me, I'm not even close to saying that. But with WWE, we hate that we see rematches all the time. The thing I like is that I see the stars all the time. So they need to figure out WWE. How to sh- give us the stars all the time. Some weeks wrestling, some weeks not, but always put them in front of us and have it not be repetitive. AEW needs to figure out a way to get the stars in front of us every week because they don't do that.
1: Yeah, there, there's there, there's too many things going on, on on AEW. Now, I do think part of this was, again, to set up Rampage. Like, they booked the whole card on on this show, pretty much. So I, I I'm hoping when Rampage happens that this will get spread out a little bit but it it did feel like a lot of this was so many backstage promos to to promote or hype up the match that's happening on rampage or it's happening next week and so they're just throwing a lot of things out there at once but otherwise yeah like they give you new faces a lot and it's fun but sometimes the AEW gives you too many new faces and you want to see the stars a bit more than you do uh, so different ways of approaching it. But that was my thought was, yeah, that's a lot of backstage promos and none of them are good as the in ring promos, which we'll get to the, the, you know, the Britt Baker stuff. Like the crowd is so good with AEW. Like it just, it always feels bigger when you're in front of the crowd and feels even that much less. So when you're not. For sure. Uh, now I did kind of
0: skip in between a couple things, but uh, let's go back to the elite Kenny Omega versus Christian cage was announced for the AEW World Championship as the main event of All Out. I mean, they didn't say main event, but that would be the main event. Uh, We'll talk about that in a moment. Christian and Jurassic Express entered after the match that we talked about earlier, the six man, and Stonkallis announced the match to the crowd, which we had only heard on commentary, Omega versus Cage. And it was like, and then there was an immediate CM Punk chant right after that. Uh, Christian used some curse words. Then he informed Omega that Not only are they fighting for the AEW championship at All Out, they're actually going to fight for the Impact World title this Friday on Rampage. Then Jurassic Express said they're challenging for the AEW tag team titles next week on Dynamite. Now, there was a fun bit with production stopping and starting and stopping and starting the theme music between each announcement. And I I thought that was really cool because in WWE, once the music hits, it's over, right? So that was fun. Uh, later, the Bucks cut a promo, Luchasaurus rejected Nick with a basketball, did them a tumbo finger, and Jungle Boy dunked the ball. So yes, that really happened. So there's a lot to break down in, in this whole thing. First of all, I love the segment and the way it was all laid out. So let me get that out there. But that's about all I loved. Of course, we could all see the AEW title match between Omega and Christian coming, given the booking over the last couple of weeks. And really, when Christian debuted, it seemed pretty obvious like he'd be fighting for the title soon, despite him not really having any matches under his belt. And I know there's a lot of Christian fans out there. Uh, Christian, the wrestler, not religion. Uh, So I hope you all are happy with this. But as someone who has never given two shits about him ever in WWE, when he was on the ECW brand, uh, in Impact, um, and now in AEW, this is a huge letdown for me for the main event of a massive show. It's not quite Bobby Lashley versus Goldberg letdown because this is going to last more than three minutes. Christian can still go. And honestly, I think it's going to be great from a work rate standpoint. I just don't want it. And then the fact that AEW is giving us the exact same match for the Impact title as the first match on Rampage this Friday. I mean, you can't tell me you hate rematches in WWE when you're going to (laughs) give the main event of a pay-per-view away on television three weeks early. Now, A a pre-match. Right. Now, what I could see happening, Is all of this being a swerve? AEW running an injury angle in the match Friday that opens the door for a new challenger at all out. That would create an excuse for a CM Punk or a Daniel Bryan or maybe even somehow Hangman Page to get back in or anyone else really who's not a ranked opponent in AEW's rankings. Going in that direction would make sense and it would be a nice swerve for fans. But if they actually run both of these matches and maybe they do a they don't do DQs, but a Schma's finish on Rampage, and then they put a stipulation on the Omega Christian match at um all out. Maybe they make it for all the titles and and it's a street fight or something like that. That's gonna be a booking failure for me.
1: So my a few things on this. One it makes sense to do the Christian match and save Hangman if you think if if CM Punk and or Daniel Bryan are gonna be there and overshadow it anyway. But to just a, we knew he was going to become the number one contender, but I feel like there was a way to do it to get the crowd a little bit more interested than having Don Callis and uh, commentary announce it before the at the beginning of the show. I think, and then Don Callis tell the crowd that, that was not going to create the excitement right. that you want. Have him have him just win some match and say if, if Christian wins, he's number one contender, or just take someone else really good and say it's a number one contender match and and give him a win to get into it get people excited going into it now my thought with the impact thing is part of it is just like oh we 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 want to make this first rampage a big deal so they're booking a bunch of title matches and all kinds of stuff my other thought is you mentioned the work rate if christian and kenny omega have a really good match that will get people interested in watching it a second time i think and, and I'm i'm wondering if that plays a role as to hey that was a really good match i want to see that again so then when it comes up at all out we're like all right i'm excited to see this one um it, it, and then the tag team impact the tag team aw tag team belt just kind of comes out of nowhere i appreciate the rankings and the records and that stuff matters but then when you're going to have the moment of someone is the number one contender um there are spots i think you can make it seem like a bigger deal
0: yeah it's less exciting it is and WWE, yes. by the way, doesn't make it exciting either, except when there's a number one contendership match or a tournament. L- or, literally, all you do you is know.
1: pin the champion, and you're the number one contender. So <laughs> right. <laughs> that gets you less right. excited for it. But there's there is a happy so, yeah. medium between the two. Yeah, there is, and AEW's done
0: it, and and WWE's yep. done it on occasion too. It's just it's not always right there for you. Um, but okay, let's keep moving. Darby Allen faced Danny Garcia. There was some fun, fun action here. Darby ultimately caught Garcia with his rollover cutter and the coffin drop. For the one, two, three, 2.0 attacked Darby after the match, but he and Sting took them out easily. It was all okay. I did expect a bit more from the match. Darby and Sting versus 2.0, I'm assuming is going to happen. I mean, I like 2.0, the show, the former uh, Ever Rise in NXT. I love them. Um, But again, it's like you take these guys, they're not your talent. They're not signed to AEW. You just throw them in and now they're getting moments and matches that you have a huge roster. That is not getting, I, I, I think AEW there. I like that their door is open and that they bring in an independent talent and they work with other promotions. They have so much talent signed to their company. They right. waste too much time on all that other talent. They yes. need to utilize their own roster more and use that outside talent in spots, a singular challenger for Omega, a singular tag team title feud. Um, a, ta- a veteran talent in ROH who wants to step up and fight Sting and, and knocks out Darby Allin. Like, pick your spots. Don't make it such a huge part of your show. And look, I know Omega and Christian are both AEW talents, but it is weird to me that the first match ever on Rampage is going to be for the Impact World title. Maybe it's <laughs> yep. just me, but yep. it's like, like, could you imagine cool. WWE like having, and, and they allowed the NWA title to be defended on, Raw back in the day um, when they had that like short agreement with them. But could you imagine like WWE starting SmackDown and having the first match of SmackDown be the NWA championship or like they would never, ever do right. that. If, if AEW is going right. to be a long-term company, then down the line, it's, there's going to be a history, right. And, and stats. Yeah. What was the first ever match on AEW Rampage? It was an impact world
1: title match. It's, it's weird. Right. To, the, I don't know. The, the door, the forbidden door, I like it. I think it's open too much at AEW when they have so much talent. And frankly, there are so many new faces every single episode. I don't know who all these people are. I don't follow all the indies that much. Now, I, I didn't care. I didn't really care much about the Derby match, but I did appreciate that they opened by saying, hey, this guy, he's on the indies. He's had six matches in the past week, so he's probably a bit fatigued coming into this match. That was like a little thing that like, made me see this dude as a real person. So I appreciated that. But other than that, I didn't really care much for any of this. AEW
0: seems to assume that all of its fans who watch Dynamite also watch Elevation and Dark, which they don't, myself included. And that they also have an extreme knowledge of independent wrestling and other organizations. In some cases, that's true. And if you bring in the Good Brothers, then okay, of course they're going to know who they are, right? But it doesn't work with every niche person that they bring in. And yes, the, the forbidden door should be cracked. It should not be swung wide open. It should be cracked so that a little bit of cold air gets in, and you get your surprise NJPW match, and you get this, and you get that. But it shouldn't take up like a third of what we see on AEW.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, we, it's we talked. Crazy. We talked about this on we talked about this on Tuesday's pod when I said WWE is not like Marvel because Marvel they give you the Easter eggs, they give you the references. There are a million things to watch to keep up on, and AEW too in fairness is probably doing a lot of that. I cannot follow all the wrestling that there is in doing stuff like that. Match is a reward to the people who pay attention to everything. So I get that there is certainly a place for it. Um, I just think it's, it's, it's almost too much at time because every week we're getting new people every week. Yeah, you're right. And, and again,
0: when, and you're getting new people when the great stars that you have are not being used, like when's the last time Phoenix Pentagon pack Andrade, um, or th- those, those guys, when's the last time any of them had a match, right? Right. We we've seen once Malachi black. Okay. You don't need to use them a lot. Miro wrestles once every three weeks. Um, it's like, where are these dudes? You FTR, need to, yeah, you,
1: you know? Yeah. You need to have more stars and more. The the floor is so high there, but the ceiling's got to get higher. Yeah, right? exactly.
0: Okay. So we had orange Cassidy, Chuck and Wheeler Utah against Matt Hardy and private party. There were two funny spots where Isaiah Cassidy screamed like a girl before it being hit. I just don't know that you can continue doing that forever. Cassidy later broke a pinning combination with a senton bomb in a cool spot. Private Party hit gin and juice on Wheeler, but Orange broke the fall. I imme- In that moment, I had no idea who was legal. Like, I had zero idea who the legal people were, <laughs> And it wasn't even a Rick Knox match. That was weird. Uh, but Hardy hit the twist of fate on Wheeler and got the win. This just wasn't good for me. Too many people, too much interference, too many, too many HFO members after the match. I didn't care.
1: Yeah, I I don't really care much for the HFO stuff. Private Party's been with Matt Hardy for a while now, like going back to BTE type stuff. And it's just, I, I don't really think it's helping. Them. It gets like worse and worse almost. It's weird. Yeah. Uh,
0: Death Triangle, speaking of, argued over who gets to fight Andrade El Idolo. Uh, eventually, Pac said he would fight Andrade while the other guys, the Lucha Bros, focus on the tag team titles. Pac then challenged Andrade directly. It was nice to see Death Triangle together again. It just feels like all these bigger name guys again. They cut promos. They don't wrestle. Uh, Andrade and Chavo Guerrero called PAC ungrateful, and Chavo suggested they fight it all out. Now, don't get me wrong, this is definitely a pay-per-view worthy match, but it is not at all a pay-per-view worthy feud to this point. This is something you put on the go-home show, you know, as the main event, like a a huge, awesome match, but isn't really a pay-per-view match. Now, they still have a few weeks, and maybe they develop the storyline a little bit more, but if all we're gonna get are these backstage promos and interactions, and Andrade, this guy who's supposed to be a boss and have all these people under him, doesn't have a faction, then I'm not sure it's going to be any more than great wrestling.
1: Yeah, I mean, the Andrade stuff's been weird since since his, from the moment of his intro. The wrestling will be great. Absolutely. But the story here is weird. And it's, again, just it feels like there's too much stuff going on all the time. So very little of it gets to stand out. We Let's move over to the women, because obviously... AEW gives the women
0: one segment, so we're not going to give them more than one. Uh, Nyla Rose faced Chris Statlander. Vicky Guerrero screamed in Orange Cassidy's face. Nyla chokeslammed Statlander on the ring apron. Statlander then did a handstand for really no reason, and Nyla speared her in a cool-looking spot.
1: That that was a cool spot. It was. It was awesome.
0: Uh, Statlander then powerbombed Nyla and hit a superb 450 splash, which is really impressive, given her height and overall size, uh, for a perfectly clean 1-2-3 win. Now this was an extremely short match. It was really good, but it was really, really short and it aired earlier than normal, but it was also less than half as long as usual for the AEW women's spot. It felt like Nyla was beaten far too easily as one of the top women in the entire division. Uh, There was a video package and then promo with Britt Baker afterward. The hometown crowd waved terrible towels and chanted for her, and she cut a total babyface promo playing to them despite being a heel. It was a great promo, Red Velvet then attacked after until the women got separated by three referees. I know they wanted Statlander to look strong, presumably before challenging Britt Baker, but why not give them eight to 10 minutes, even with the double commercial break? I guess because they had the Baker promo segment, they decided that's enough time for the women, which of course is absolutely absurd. But I am very happy that Baker and Red Velvet are main eventing the first rampage. Yeah.
1: Well, well again, especially because it's in Pittsburgh, and again, there's there's so much going on on this show that I don't think anything really got enough time. But I, I enjoyed the Nyla Rose Statlander match. I love Nyla Rose. I think she is awesome, and it's something you don't you're not seeing very much in women's wrestling in general. Um, the match was good. They they treated the Statlander win I think properly with surprise. You know, they shot shots of the crowd, the commentary. They sold it as a as an upset, which I think was was good. So. Um, yeah, I think it sets them up. This is you'd love to see more of the, this kind of stuff in, in AEW, but um, for what they did on this dynamite, it was good.
0: Now Chris does need to jump here, so I appreciate him being on. We have a couple more things to talk about, but um, you know it's great to have Chris on the show talking NXT and AEW, which he doesn't always do. But he, of course, will be will be back Tuesday for the WWE show, probably as well for the uh, NXT show, and we have a lot of stuff coming next week that. Chris will be involved in as well. So here's what remains from Dynamite. Just really two more things. Uh, the Impact Tag Team titles were on the line. The Good Brothers against Evil Uno and Stu Grayson. Dark Order did a combination cannonball 450 splash for a near fall. Uno hit Carl Anderson with a flatliner, but Dark Doc Gallows distracted. Anderson then hit a gun stun on Uno, and they combined for a magic killer on Grayson for the win. Now, the distraction for the referee, it didn't really make sense because nothing Gallows did after it was illegal. Knocking someone off the top rope as a tag team, I mean, that happens all the time, right? Uh, but despite some exciting moments from Dark Order, this was a dud. It was really flat. The crowd didn't seem to care. I don't think the Good Brothers are over anymore. Like, maybe they are, and I'm just, like, missing it. But I think ever since they left AJ Styles' side, it hasn't really worked in Impact or yeah. in AEW. But maybe I'm wrong. And then, lastly, Hugh T. Marshall was in the ring for his apology, but predictably didn't apologize instead, he pulled Tony Schiavone's son out of the crowd and hit him with a diamond cutter. That led Paul White to take five minutes getting to the ring. He got thrown Aaron Solo and choke slammed him while staring down QT Marshall the entire time. Now, the crowd did pop a bit for White, so credit where that's due. I thought this was absolutely terrible. Talk about something I do not need to see whatsoever is QT Marshall against Big Show. <laughs> Andrade had one match in two months. And we haven't seen Ray Phoenix or Pentagon. Miro's not in the arena most weeks. But yes, please give me QT Marshall and Big Show in a match with Tony Schiavone's son involved in the entire thing. If you can't tell, I'm being sarcastic. And Chris didn't mute his mic. I heard him laughing. So, jump, jump, so apparently you jump haven't in left for yet. This. Do you have anything to say? I had, about
1: to ju- I, had to, I had to jump in for this real quick. I just loved that <laughs> Schiavone gets beat up and his key gets beat up, and then like the next come back from commercial break and they're like. Well, sorry your kid got beat up, Tony. But anyway, let's move on to the next thing here. <laughs> it, was like, it was just like funny, and that it was bad, and then yeah, to your point, nobody wants. I popped for I popped for the choke slam. It was a good looking choke slam. Good to see Big Show doing something. Uh, but overall, yes. Do we need QT Marshall versus Paul White Big Show instead of all those other wrestlers you mentioned that we're not seeing? No. Zero point
0: zero. I try not to do too many sound effects on this show because there's a lot to talk about. That got a 0.0 for me. It was a zero, it sucked, marked zero. And then lastly here, I did have a DM slide. It was actually from like two weeks ago. I meant to, uh, you know, address it, but never did. Trevor Chong at Trevor Chong, C-H-O-N-G. He wrote, what are the three matches feuds you would like to see for each of Daniel Bryan and CM Punk if they wind up in AEW? So for Bryan, it's uh, Kenny Omega, Jungle Boy, and Hangman Page for me. And for CM Punk, it's Malachi Black, John Moxley, definitely. Uh, And Darby Allin, maybe an Eddie Kingston you could throw in there as well. But I'm really excited for that with those guys. And and Brian, both of them, really. But Brian can have great matches with anyone. So Brian Ray Phoenix, um, Brian Pentagon, Brian Pack. I mean, everything is going to be great if Daniel Bryan's in AEW from a match quality standpoint. Again, it's just all these people we mentioned that they use but are not really frequently, consistently using, if you're going to add... Daniel Bryan and CM Punk to that mix. I mean, you need more TV. You need WWE-level television. And they're gonna have three hours. So I'm just not exactly sure how all of that is going to work out. But uh, we this was a big show. Obviously, Chris joining me, talking NXT news, breaking down this week's NXT show. And of course, AEW Dynamite as well. Took up more time than usual. I appreciate all of you being patient sticking with us, listening to the entire thing. We have a big week next week. Not only is it the SummerSlam Ultimate Preview on Tuesday and the NXT TakeOver 36 Ultimate Preview on Thursday. The Silver King is working on some interviews. We do have a 200th uh, episode that is going to air next week. We're going to have the instant analysis, of course, on Saturday and Sunday. After those pay-per-views, there might be a go-home show on Friday, considering we do have SmackDown, and possibly who knows what's going to happen on Rampage. So I don't exactly know um, what next week's schedule is going to be, but I certainly hope that by Tuesday's podcast, that SummerSlam Ultimate Preview, I am able to give you guys a full breakdown of what to expect over the rest of the remaining week. As far as the rest of this show, there's not much to talk about. There's only one reminder. So please head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop those five-star ratings and reviews, tell people why you love the show, tell them why they should listen. And do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. So that's it for Vintage Chris Vanini. This is, once again, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. And I am leaving you with three final words. Bye for now.